if I had to give the study a title, I don't normally do that, but I would say it, it starts with our hearts. You know, that's where it starts. And 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 when your heart is right, and then what ends up happening is you go and Jesus uh, sows His word in your heart then the results are effective. The results are productive. You're going to be like Jesus and you're going to be used by him to help people go to heaven, to help people in the kingdom of God. But nothing's going to happen unless your heart is right. And so we read here in Mark 4, it says in verse 1, and again, he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land, facing the sea. And then he taught them many things by parables, and said to them in his teaching, he said, listen. And then he says, behold. And so, you know, he's telling them to listen, but then he's telling them to see. And so in one sense, as he's telling them to listen, He's telling them, can you, can you picture what I'm about to say? He's going to paint a picture with his words. And so he wants them to listen and to, and to see that a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him here. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve, so it's not just the twelve, it's others, whoever's there, they asked him about the parable and he said to them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And we'll pause there for a moment. Later, Jesus is going to give the interpretation of the parable. But we have before us uh, a very uh, common parable. I was talking to one guy and he's telling me, you know, probably everybody is very familiar with this. And at the same time, as I'm sharing, there might be some who have never heard this before. But I tell you what, this one, for whatever reason, it never gets old because we're always going to Bible studies. You know, we're always, you know, reading the Word or we have those opportunities for Jesus to sow His mighty Word in our hearts. And then, you know, we, we go and, and then sometimes we don't see the results that we would like and we wonder why. And sometimes, you know, we might blame it on the, on the teacher. And in all reality, it's our own heart. That's wrong. And so this is a very important parable for us, the parable of the sower and the seed and the soils. You know, Jesus is teaching, according to verse 1, a great multitudes uh, is before him. And so what ends up happening is Jesus gets into a boat and he sits down to begin his lesson. 
You know, when you go to Israel, you can see this very place where Jesus would kind of drift out into the sea. And the way the land begins to elevate from the shore, it's just a slight incline. And it kind of creates a perfect amphitheater for sound to travel, especially from the water. And so, you know, Jesus was able to teach thousands of people without an amplifier or a microphone or a sound system. And so this is where our Lord is. Interesting, it comes now to a time in his ministry where he begins to teach them in parables. Notice there in verse 2, he taught them many things by parables. There's a shift now in his teaching and there's a change at this juncture of his ministry. Now, Matthew 13 tells us why, and I think it gives us a better explanation than we have here in Mark 4. And so, would you turn there to to Matthew 13? And in verse 10, the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Why? (laughs) And he answered and he said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. And and here's the reason. This is really the reason. He says, For the hearts of this people have grown dull or calloused or hard. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed. Notice, they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. You know, and I think it's important to have this cross-reference in Matthew 13, because if you isolate just Mark chapter 4, you might come away with the idea or the misconception that Jesus is actually trying to hide the truth from them, when in all reality, that's the farthest thing from the truth. You know, Jesus had been doing miracles and preaching messages, but they couldn't hear and they couldn't see and it wasn't sinking in and their lives weren't changing and they weren't coming to him. Uh, He he explains right here, it's not that God was trying to hide it from them. As a matter of fact, the parables are really spoken because they weren't able to see just straightforward teaching. The straightforward, obvious, and so then God began to tell them in, in stories and, and parables and ways that they could understand. Some people would, uh, they would, they would identify or define a parable as an as a earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And see, and, and that can happen a lot of times in our lives. We can come to a place where, you know, we don't really just take straightforward teaching and, you know, so you got to hear it kind of like in, in, in parables, you know. I mean, stories about farming and agriculture, weddings and feasts, tares and wheat, treasures and pearls. They'd be stories, yeah, you'd have to pray through them and yes, you'd have to think through them, but they'd be stories that everyone would be able to relate to. And Jesus, our Lord, the master teacher, he weaves within each parable spiritual truths 
that are life-changing. And so, you know, he tells them in parables not to hide it from them, but because their hearts had grown dull, they couldn't take straightforward teaching. And so now he's trying, in one sense, even harder to reach them. You know, and maybe you're here today and you've been going to church service and it doesn't seem like nothing's sinking in. And I tell you what, it's funny how the same message can go out and one person comes forth weeping, telling me that they just, man, God gripped them and they're saved now or they're surrendered now. And others kind of like walk out the door chewing gum like nothing happens. They're going to go and have their burrito now. And, and it's not the, the sower, it's not the seed. The problem is the soil. The problem is the heart is not right. You're not hungry for God. You know, when we were in, in Cambodia, you know, one of the, the, the things, one of the tough things was there was a, a gal there that was possessed by a demon. And, and we were praying over her and, you know, one of the pastors from, from the village, he's been there forever. He's a, just a very godly man. He, you know, he was there. We were praying and, and he was saying, you know, we have to fast. And the next day he prayed over her again. When, when we began to pray over her, I just felt the Holy Spirit just fall on us. And as soon as uh, that happened, as I'm praying over her, you just hear her. Just you hear the demon just shriek. And so she's there and she's coming in and out and we're praying and we're asking God on her behalf. And, and what ended up happening was, uh, you know, the pastor began to talk to her and, and she said that she saw a vision that, that, that she was in the dark and, that, and that, that there was like the light. And, you know, some of the people began to tell her, well, go to the light, go to the light. And I knew in my heart that really wasn't exactly what she needed to hear what God brought to my mind is John chapter 3 where the Bible says they love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. They don't go to Christ because they want to hold on to their sin. And so I, I, I said, you know, ask her, is there anything in your life that you need to let go of, that you need to repent of? And that day she didn't, she didn't say, but... Three days later, I talked to the overseer there at the orphanage, and he told me that underneath her belongings, uh, she had some idols, some Buddhist idols, that she was not willing to let go of, that she was hiding. They were idols, and they were open doors for the enemy to live in her heart. You see... And, and in our heart, you know, sometimes there's things there that God just says they don't belong. Either that goes or I go. You can't have both. And you go to church and you're wondering, well, why don't get it? Why isn't anything happening? And a lot of times it's because there are things that we need to lay down at the foot of the cross. There are things that we need to set down and surrender and give to God so that he can begin to work in our life again. So that he, the sower who is Jesus can sow his word and that you and I, we can become effective and productive. And so they had come to a time where they were no longer listening. And so Jesus, he begins to share 
this parable, and it's so important. It's the first parable. It's the most important parable, probably, because this one sets precedence for all the others. It begins, really, the heart of the matter is always the matter of the heart. You know, and he shares stories and parables. I think we all like stories for some reason. It's just the way we're wired, huh? The common man can remember truth in stories. And so, um, here the Lord gives the four different soils. It begins there in verse 3. He says, listen, behold, the sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured it. And so, you know, you know, the, the disciples had the advantage there in verse 13. Um, Jesus uh, answers their question. In verse 10, uh, notice here, chapter 4 of Mark, but when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. This is a quick side note here. When the Lord told them to you, it's been given to know the parables. You want to know why it had been given to them? Because they asked him. Uh, you know, it's kind of sometimes people try to make, you know, some type of uh, Calvinistic theological truth that really doesn't hold any water. It, you know, it'll be given to you if you ask. And so here you got the 12 and they're like, hey, you know what? I know the Bible study's over, but I don't, I don't want to go home yet, man. I'm not going to go home and whatever, you know, live my comfortable life. I want to find out, you know, what it meant. And it's kind of cool every once in a while after the study, someone will hang around and say, hey, what would you mean by that? Or, hey, how does this apply to my life? I mean, you know, you begin to see people. I mean, I get to teach Bible college, and I love it because sometimes the students, they'll just hang out for, for a long time, and they'll talk, and they'll ask questions, and we get into things. And I mean, Jesus said to you, it's been given to know these things. Well, why? Because they asked. I think the same thing will happen to us if we ask, Lord, what do you mean by this? And you really want to know? And so he answers them in verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? There's a slight rebuke there. I think Jesus is kind of expecting more from them. In that, in one sense, man, we should be so sensitive to the Spirit that we should know these things just by that. But, you know, he goes on and explains. He says in verse 14, The sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside. So he explains that first one. Where the word is sown, when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. And so, you know, Jesus says, listen, behold, I'm going to paint a picture for you and I want you to visualize this whole thing. And I don't know if you guys can use your imagination a little bit. I'm not trying to tell you to visualize or do anything, but, you know, you close your eyes, you can picture that guy. He's just scattering seed. And this is how they would do it prior to they would turning the soil. They would scatter the seed and some would fall uh, by the wayside. Now, according to verse 14, the, the, the seed is the word. We see the same thing in Luke chapter 8, verse 11. It clearly identifies the seed as the word. Now, in Matthew 13, 37, it says the sower 
is Jesus. The sower is not that guy who's teaching the Bible study. The sower is none other than the Son, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He is our teacher. He's the one sowing the seed. So the Son of God is scattering the Word of God. What an awesome thought. What an awesome opportunity. Every time you get into the Word or when you're sitting in a Bible study, what an awesome thought to know that the Son of God is sowing the Word of God. And, and the first soil that it falls on is, is by the wayside. Uh, we would call it uh, a hard ground or, or hard soil. That this is that ground that everyone walks on, on the side. It's the beaten path. The, the soil is not soft in any way. If you drop a seed on it, it'll just sit there on top of the ground, exposed, never really penetrates. And so what ends up happening is a bird flies by and he just eats up that seed. Jesus identified the birds as Satan and, and his demons, as Satan himself. And so, you know, one of the things that we probably should do today is just like ask the Lord, Lord, show me my heart. You know, I, I know nowadays they have these these cool um, technology. You can go to the hospital or doctors or whatever, and they could scan, you know, your body and they can see if there's any lumps that don't belong, or they can go into your heart and you know, I mean, inject the dye and see so many things. I, sometimes I wonder about my heart physically, to be honest with you. I'm like, man, I wonder if I had one too many bacon cheeseburgers, Lord. I mean, you know, I mean, seriously, you know, are, are your, how are your arteries? I mean, how's your heart? Is it strong? Do you exercise? I mean, we should care about the condition of our heart physically. And, and the same is true spiritually. I mean, every once in a while, it's probably good to stop and maybe read a parable like this and get before the Lord and say, Lord, show me my heart. It, am I guilty of any of these things? The first one is, is a hard heart or a calloused heart. Um, it's, a, it's a ground where the seed doesn't even make it in. And it's hard to believe, but there are actually hearts like that even in church service, I would venture to say every single week, even here today. You know, they come out of habit, not out of heart. They come to maybe check out the chicks or to fleece the flock or to advance their own agenda. Their hearts are like concrete because they are carnal. They don't love God. They love their sin. And so when the Word of God falls on their heart, it doesn't penetrate. The Word goes out, but it, it doesn't go in. You know, I don't know if you guys are okay with this, but if you go back to Matthew 13, look at verse 19. It says, When anyone hears the Word of the kingdom and does not understand it. Interesting. Then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. You know, believe it or not, you know, you might go to a Bible study and you're like, man, I didn't understand it. Like, I didn't, you know, get it. And let me tell you something. That's not good. 
I, I would even say don't leave until you understand it. Until, you know, if you got to, maybe sometimes I don't present things the, the best way and I'm, I totally know how that is. Don't be okay with that. You know, check me on it. Or whoever it is. You know, you sit down and maybe you read 10 chapters, but you didn't understand it. I tell you what, the wicked one will come and snatch that word away and it was in vain. I'd rather read two verses that you understand than 22 chapters that, that, you, that you don't. You know, you gotta, you got to understand it. Do you understand the scriptures? If you don't understand then ask, make sure that you know what you're hearing and that you understand it. Because if you don't, then it will be snatched away by the enemy. So the first soil is, is a hard soil. The, the second is a shallow soil. Notice again in Mark chapter 4, it says in verse 5 that some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And so Jesus gives the interpretation in verse 16. He says, These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. And so, Lord, what heart do I have? Number one, is it a hard heart? Number two, is it a shallow heart or soil? You know, I wish I, I, I did more... Um, I don't know if you would call it farming or gardening type of thing. How many of you guys grow stuff, just out of curiosity? Man, the other day someone gave me these beautiful, luscious, wonderful, <laughs> juicy yellow tomatoes. Oh my gosh, they were so good. And my wife, she made a, a, a sandwich, uh, kind of grilled it a little bit on the pan, and, and she, you know, big old slice of tomato and a little bit of cheese, and she put it on bread, and I Oh my gosh, it was so good, man. <laughs> Way better than the ones you buy in the markets, huh? Don't you think? I mean, they don't have all that junk thrown in there, right? And they pick them when they're ripe. I mean, there, there's so many lessons to learn. But one of the things I'm sure that's obvious to all of us, even a rookie like me, is that if, if the ground's not right, if the soil's not rich, if there's no nutrients there, if it's hard or if it's shallow, let's just say like they would have the limestone in those days, a little layer of dirt, but then the limestone, there's no way that it can get rooted. And so, yeah, it's going to rise up immediately, but when the sun goes up, it scorches it and it withers away. There are some people... Like that, they either have a hard heart or they have a shallow heart. And, and you know, there are those uh, who, uh, you know, you, you give a message and they get, um, immediately they get super excited. And, you know, I don't know about you, but you get excited because they're excited. They're excited about the Lord and you're like, wow, that's so cool. You know, first time here and they're just all, you know, smiling ear to ear, right? But, but the thing is about that, not to burst your bubble or anything, but it's going to take time to tell whether or not they're real. 
is going to take time. That's the bottom line, whether or not they're legit. Because in all reality, that seed may have fallen on shallow ground. And Jesus says there's no debt whatsoever in that person or in that heart. You know, Mark tells us that this second type of soil never really gets rooted. So what ends up happening is they only last for a season. We don't know how long that season is, how long that timetable is, but the bottom line is they, they last until times get tough. And when times get tough, they quit, they split. They don't want to follow Jesus anymore. Because somewhere along the line, their conception of Christianity was like candy-coated. You know, it was like plastic. It was superficial, even selfish. You know, where they were under the impression that now, as a Christian, there'd be no more problems, that they would never get sick or suffer physically or financially or have sometimes even struggles, you know, with other people. That's, that's life. That's part of the church. And, you know, they thought that their loved ones would enjoy a life of health, wealth, and prosperity, and something happens to their loved ones and it rocks their world. And when they begin to suffer persecution for following Christ, they... Unfortunately, Jesus says they fall into that terrible maxim, easy come, easy go. And we have to guard our hearts. I mean, you know, we see that happen sometimes to people. We need to be aware of shallow faith. The truth is, Jesus never said it would cost you anything less than your life. That's the truth, and that's how we go into it, eyes wide open. You know, we got to be deep. Like Job, you know, Job was deep. Job lost all his money. He lost all his property, but he stayed on track. You know, Job lost all his children. Think about that. They all died, but he stayed on course. And even when it looked like Job himself was about to die, what did he say in Job thirteen fifteen? Though he slay me, yet... Will I trust in Him? You see, we can't be shallow Christians. We gotta be, we gotta be deep. We have to guard our heart. Is it a hard heart? Is it a shallow heart? The third one is: Is it a crowded heart or soil? He says here in verse seven: And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. You know, Matthew thirteen twenty two again, gives us a little more information. It says, Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Now, look at that verse for a second, you guys. And I don't know, you know, what your theological perspective is, but do you think that might be a Christian? You know, some people immediately say, no, you know, no, because, you know, Christians bear fruit, and it's true. If you're a real Christian, there's got to be some fruit there somehow, sometime, some way. But the thing is, is that this verse might be teaching that, yeah, they, they just, generally speaking, are, are described as unfruitful. The thing is, is they don't, they don't really bear fruit like they should. They're not effective and productive like they should be. And again, you could have a different view on that. 
It's interesting because some believe that this might be a believer. Again, I'm not sure. I know for sure that if you're a true believer, you will bear fruit, but maybe not a crop, right? Maybe not the 30 or 60 or 100-fold we'll read of in just a second. Why not? Well, because the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, they choke the word that was sown in the soil of your soul by the Son of God. That very word of God gets choked by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. And then what happens is that type of person is not going to bear a whole lot of fruit. Think about that. You know, I mean, I was just trying my, my best to search my heart and even just, you know, trying to bring this before you this morning in a way that would be helpful, you know, to truly think this one through. I mean, how many of us today in this sanctuary, how many of us, are, are, our hearts are right with God? You know, I wonder, you know, and, and I don't know, only the Lord knows, but, you know, for the most part, it's, it's not a high percentage. United States of America, they call themselves Christian. But I look at the fruit of our nation and I see it's, it's, it's not. Their hearts, our hearts are, are not right. And then even in the church, you know, so many, even in the church, God loves you, God, God has died for you, God has redeemed you, you are blood-bought, you know, true blue, bona fide believer, and thank God when you die, you'll go to heaven. But seriously, does God really have your heart? Is our heart right? I mean, is it hard? Is it shallow? Is it crowded with the cares of this world and deceitfulness of riches? You know, I, I, I think of our hearts and I, and I think of just this, you know, what is our heart, you know? And I mean, it's the real you. I mean, it's what dominates your thoughts. It's your secrets that no one else knows. It's what you, you know, it's, it's the middle, you know. I mean, you, you got to meddle with it. I mean, a lot of times people, they're going to church, but they're living in sin. And where there's sin within, there's problems. Where we're holding on to or harboring that sin, there's problems. There's weeds of wickedness. A lot of times lusts that linger. It's selfish ambitions. Now, Jesus mentions the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. What are the cares of this world? Well, the cares of this world really are when we start caring more about the things that the fallen world cares about that are contrary to Christ. It might even be legitimate things that you know, cross over from care into worry. You know, and you, I don't know, I was thinking about like, what, what does our world value nowadays? Um, you know, and I think one of the things they value is the look. You know, do you got the look? And uh, let me button my shirt real quick. I'm just, <laughs> it's okay to look, to want to look okay. I hope you guys know that. It's okay to, to, you know, get a haircut. I even think it's okay to dye your hair. It's between you and the Lord. Um, you know, to dress attractive is okay, not seductive. I mean, where's the line, though? What about Botox? 
I don't think that's... And you're like, well, man, he has a personal conviction. I don't know, man. It's, it's the cares of this world. I mean, from what I understand, and I don't, didn't do all the research I probably should have done, but, you know, you get the big lips. What do you want big lips for, you know? <laughs> I don't know. And sometimes, man, they get like all that, that plastic surgery, and they look like they're going to pop or something. Their skin is like so tight. And I mean, I would say it's okay to like put cream on or, or whatever, but man, you know, um, you start getting caught up in those things. In, in the cares of, of this world, well, that's what the world values. That's when we start caring more about the things that the fallen world cares about. You know, or you fall in love with money, or you fall in love with yourself. You fall in love with money and the things that money can buy. Next thing you know, you owe, you owe, you owe, and off to work you go, even on Sundays. Why? Because you're caring about the things the fallen world cares about, Right? I mean, there's so many places we can go with this. I was thinking about the rich young ruler, and Jesus said to him, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. You know, because that was his hang-up. But the man, the young man, he walked away very sorrowful because he had so many possessions. And Jesus said, how hard it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. It's possible but unfortunately, so many can't handle that and that love of money. It just breaks your heart. I was thinking of that guy, Gehazi. He was a servant of the Lord, a servant of Elisha. And one day, if you guys read the story there in the scriptures regarding uh, Naaman, he was a, a commander in the Syrian army and uh, he had leprosy. He found out there was a prophet in Israel that could heal him. He knew that you know, he found out, hey, I can go there and get healed. Sure enough, he went. And Elisha just told him, dip seven times in the Jordan River. At first, he didn't want to do it. Eventually, he did. He dipped seven times. And man, he came out and his skin was like a baby. The leprosy was gone. So he went back to Elisha and he said, hey, let me just give you a gift. Let me give you something. Elisha said, no, I don't want any gift. I don't want anything. And so, uh, you know, Naaman went back. But Gehazi his servant, he saw that whole thing, and he said, what's up with that? I mean, here's, this guy has, is rich. We, we're, we're here eating you know, beans and rice. I mean, come on. So he, he runs after him. Not, Elisha doesn't know about this. He runs after him. He says, hey, hey, Naaman, you know, as a matter of fact, you know, my master changed his mind. Can I have a talent of silver and maybe a couple of change, a couple of suits? Would that be okay? Because there is a, you know, some prophets, sons of prophets that came. And, you know, I think we need something after all. A talent of silver. I mean, that's, that's 75 pounds of silver. That's $22,000 of today's money. And, but Naaman's all, I mean, sure, okay. He gives him that. And what ends up happening? You know, Gehazi goes and he kind of puts in his little, you know, storage place. And he comes back to Elisha thinking that everything's cool. I'm a godly man. Oh, I love you. I'm serving you. And Elisha said, he said, what's up? Where were you? Where were you right now? Oh, I went to 7-Eleven real quick, pick up a Slurpee, and <laughs> you're sweating bullets now. And Elisha said, is it time to get rich? Houses? Is that what you're thinking of? Corvettes? He said, behold, the leprosy of Naaman is going to be on you and your descendants. And people, they, they sell out. 
yeah, I have a calling of God in my life, but, you know, I can't go to church on Sundays. I've got to work. can't go to church on Thursdays. I used to, but not anymore because i got more important things to do. Yeah, I used to read and pray and seek God with all my heart, but, you know, i got got some bills to pay, and, you know, I, I, I mean, i got to live, right? And what ends up happening? That seed, it falls on that soil that is crowded with the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, and he becomes unfruitful. I mean, don't we know this? Jesus said in John, that's the whole reason I chose you. I chose you so that you would go and bear fruit. Don't you know that? I mean, fruit is two things. Number one is it's when we're like Jesus. You know, Galatians 5, it describes the fruit of the Spirit as love and joy and peace and goodness, long-suffering, kindness, you know, patience, gentleness, self-control. I mean, you know, fruit is us and our character. It's our morality. When we bear fruit, we're like Jesus. But there's also the fruit of ministry where we serve the Lord and we actually help people in their commitment to Christ or their coming to Christ. And God will use your life in that ministry way and he'll change you in a moral way to be like Christ. That's the reason he chose us. You know, it's one of the interesting things about us Americans is that we spend most of our time, you know, cutting our grass and watering our grass and, uh, you know, whatever, you know, weeding it out and giving it seed and all that kind of stuff. And it doesn't give us anything, really. I mean, we can't even have our grass green nowadays. You know, some of the, uh, you know, the the Asian countries is real interesting. They 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 laugh at us. They say, "You guys are weird." You know, you invest all that money into into grass, it gives you nothing. And what you know what they like to do with their ground? They like to make it a little bit more productive. You know, and plant some corn and plant stuff. I remember one guy even here in Almani, he started doing that in his front yard. All these crazy, huge plants. And so I was with the chaplains, and we went, and I guess the neighbor didn't like it. He called the cops on him, and he, you can't do that here, man. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I think in one sense, the, the Lord is like, he's like, man, I don't want to waste the land, the, the, the hearts, the lives, the people, you know, to produce nothing that's really of any benefit. I want it to be fruitful and effective. You know, we have to be careful, especially us, when it comes to money and the things that money can buy. You know, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. There are some who say this. They say that you can tell the most about a person and their Christianity more than church attendance, more than time in prayer or reading the word, more than good deeds, you can tell the most about them in what they do with their money. And so we have to be, we have to be so careful. 
You know, we think that it's the answer to everything and what we can buy with it is the answer to everything and it's going to make us happy and it's not true. The Wall Street Journal, there is a quote there, it says, money is an article which may be used as a universal passport to everywhere except heaven and as a provider of everything except happiness. You see in the banner over the man who bows down to mammon and the epitaph and final synopsis over the one who's consumed with and cares more for the base things of the world, one word, unfruitful. I mean, they could have produced so much fruit, but their heart was crowded. And so the, the last soil here, it says in verse 7, Verse 8, but other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, you know, let him hear. This is the, the good soil, the rooty, tooty, fresh, and fruity. That's what I call this soil right here, man. I mean, effective and productive, the good ground, the soft soil, there's fertilizer there, there's miracle grow there. And that's what God wants us to be, you know. Expositor's Bible commentary said, some seed does, not, does fall on good soil and is productive, and such people are open and receptive to the word of the kingdom. The message gets through to them and issues forth in a productive life. The parable, therefore, emphasizes our responsibility to listen to and obey Christ's message to us and to make sure our hearts are right. And that's part of the reason we, we do worship. Um, uh, to be honest with you, worship in one sense, as we're here, as we're really singing to the Lord, it, it kind of gets our heart right. But, but I would even say prior to that, you guys, as you know you're going to be seeking the Lord, you begin to really get your heart right. How are you guys doing in this? And uh, in closing, I have to ask myself the same question. If you had to answer it, what would you say to that question? How is your heart? You know, of course, we know that in and of itself, Jeremiah 17, 9 says our heart's are, are, are deceitful and desperately wicked. But when God begins to move and you get saved, Acts 13.22 says David was a man after God's own heart. And what that meant is that he had a heart like God. God can do that in us. And so let me close with just a, a few things on, um, on how you can maybe get your heart right. Okay, number one, in Psalm 66, 18, I would say this, purify it. You know, get that heart purified. It says in Psalm 66, 18, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, my Lord would not have listened. And so if there's anything going on that, that you know God's not cool with, that's probably breaking his heart because it's holding you back, then confess it and forsake it. And so you begin, number one, you purify your heart. Number two, you pray for your heart. Psalm 51.10, David prayed, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. 
You know, and we say this not in, in any way to, to, you know, beat someone up. We're, we're here to lift you up. We're here to, to, to say, man, God's word, Jesus, will sow his word on your heart and you will blow your minds with the fruit that God will work in and through your life. So you purify it by getting rid of all known sin. Ask God to show you, is there anything in me that's not right? And you just give it to him. You can't handle that drugs. You can't handle that porn. You can't handle, but he can. And you confess it to him. And then you pray, Lord, clean my heart. And then when you're there, third thing is you protect your heart. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. And when you keep your heart, what that means is you protect it. Don't let anything go in that doesn't belong. So that when you go to Bible study or when you're listening to that, you know, radio sermon or when you're in the word, whatever that time is where God's son is trying to sow his word in your heart, that the ground will be good, the soil will be soft. And you will bear fruit, 30, 60, and even a hundredfold. You know, I was thinking of that proverb in closing. I think it might be a good idea for us all to do today. Uh, the proverb that says, um, My son, give me your heart. And I, and I think that that's kind of how Christianity works, to be honest with you. Lord, I, I give you my heart. I give you who I am. I give you my life. I lay it all down here. I know you died for me on that cross. And you bore all my shame, my sin. They were nailed. And if I come to you and confess and I, and I come clean, then I'm forgiven and I'm free to follow you and to bear fruit. It's an opportunities to have a new beginning every time. You know, I was going through this parable and talking to my son about it. I'm like, man, at the end of the day, you know, it's not just about knowing what they mean or really, you know, in one sense, like determining, okay, you know, I'm not going to get caught up in, in riches or be shallow. Yes, those are things that you endeavor to, to, to really, you know, try to get right with the Lord. But at the end of the day, the, the word is the one that does the work. And the word will only do the work when the heart is right. So at the end of the day, our primary responsibility is to come and just to, to let our hearts be right. And as we're there, you watch. You watch what, what God will do. And so today, we it's kind of cool. It works out really good. We have a time of communion and we get to examine our life. We get to come before Jesus, the, the, the God who forgives, the one who's so gracious, the one who loves you. Um, and before he ever flung a star into the sky, he thought of you. And we get to just go before him. And, and if there's any business that we need to settle with the Lord, that we would do it you know, right here, right now, with all of our hearts.